Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I'm really excited to welcome my friend Dee Poku-Spalding to Leave Your Mark. I am so happy to be here. Dee is the founder and CEO of the WeSuite, a private membership club and peer learning platform for women in leadership, which I am proud to be a member of. Its mission is to redefine the way women and leaders achieve success for themselves and for their companies by providing the community and tools for them to succeed at the highest levels. And of course, the We Suite also works with companies to accelerate growth by helping them attract, retain, and grow talent. Dee, I remember back in 2010, you founded the We Network, which was really pioneering one of the early modern women's conferences. And you also have an initiative, Black Women Raise, which works to accelerate the ability of leading Black female founders to raise growth capital, scale up, and create pathways for the women behind them. You are a community builder, but your background is marketing. You've worked at Paramount. You've worked at Focus Pictures. You were a math major. And then your accolades. I mean, I literally was looking at your bio and I'm like, there's so many here. Mary Claire Magazine's 50 Women Changing the World, Crane's Notable Black Leader, Harlem Fashion Week Cultural Icon, the list goes on and on and on. So we need to talk about, you're gathering all of these amazing accolades, but you are probably one of the most humble people I know. And you have an incredible way about you. And we're going to dive into this because your leadership style, and you and I have spoken about this in the past for my Forbes column, you have this very elegant, reserved way about you. And I think that you're a great example of how you can lead, but also lead in a very refined, not loud way. I would say like I'm probably the loud version and you're not. But before we dive into all of this, because there's so much to go into, Tell us just a bit about your background, where you grew up, and how you ended up ditching your major for marketing. Yes. So I grew up between the UK and Ghana. So my parents are from Ghana. It was a very formative time for me, both you know, growing up in the UK, where we are quite reserved, quite self-deprecating, quite humble. Uh, growing up in Ghana, a similar situation. Ghanaians are also very humble, 
very self-effacing. And so I have a double dose of it, which sort of definitely sort of informs my manner. But also I would say that growing up in Ghana was so important for me as a Black woman, sort of navigating spaces where I didn't feel seen, both in the UK um, and now here in America. I think that just having that grounding and just growing up in a place where I could see people who looked like me achieving at the highest levels has meant so much to me and my ability to navigate spaces and build community. Um, How did I navigate from being a math major to this? It was just a a series of happy accidents, just sort of intuitively listening to what was around me, opportunities were coming up. You know, I'm a Virgo, so I really believe in planning. So I always have a plan. But I also believe in being sort of open to opportunities and to things that arise and being open to switching lanes and pivoting if that is the best course of action. So I did the math major. There was a very specific plan that was leading to finance. And then it wasn't like, you know, then other things came up that were exciting or piqued my interest. And so I went down a different road. Okay. So let's talk about the planning. You always have a plan. How far in advance does your plan go? Like, are you projecting out three-year plans, five-year plans? You know, I definitely have five-year plans, one-year plans, one-week plans, daily plans. Minute-by-minute <laughs> uh, <laughs> minute plans. No, but actually, like, I'm someone who doesn't. Actually, it's one of the areas that I could definitely work on. So if you're giving advice to someone like me who's not a planner, how do you get your head in the space to really think big picture of what you want to achieve? Hmm. So I think it's really important to know yourself. I'm always assessing my response to things in my headspace. So for example, if I spot something, I read something in a newspaper, or I spot something on Instagram, and it makes me feel something, whether that's happy, envious, confused, sad, it doesn't matter. I try and really sort of take that into account because whatever those feelings are, they need to be factored into where you're going in your life. I'm always sort of shifting according to what the world is telling me is important to me and where I want to be and what I want to do. So when I was at university, I thought my degree would lead to a career in finance. But then I found that I was intuitively drawn to other things that felt more creative. So I ended up in fashion and film. Um, Every Sunday, I'm planning my week. Like, what does this week look like? And it's super important for me as well, because I'm such an executor of things that I need to understand, like, what's important for the week so that I ensure that I get that done, as opposed to, especially, you know, your fellow mom the million things that sort of pop up on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we've run out of orange juice. Like, I don't need, like, whatever, we'll live without orange juice this week until Friday, which is the day I do the shop. And so it's like, for me, oh God, I sound so awful and boring. Anyway, like, that's just my process. <laughs> no, you sound very disciplined. You sound very disciplined. <laughs> but I want to go back for a second, because I think it's interesting that you let external environments change or tweak what you've already set out to do, how do you determine 
what is noise versus what actually should change the direction of a plan. So a lot of it is noise. So it's not that everything is impacting my decision-making. It's just if something makes me feel a particularly strong emotion, you know, we're all very impacted by Instagram and everyone's like highlight reels. So I'm not really like allowing myself to be impacted by the best of everyone that they are willing to sort of show in a public forum. But I think that if I read something or, you know, observe something that makes me feel an emotion, you know, and it could be, oh, this injustice, you know, and it's coming up again and again. I just really need to get behind it in some way. A great example for me as a founder is like people announcing how much money they've raised. That can be noise, but it's also important for me to just really assess like, why do I feel weird that so-and-so I feel happy for them, but I also feel less adequate because I haven't raised, you know, a hundred million dollars. And so then you have to sort of sit back and say, okay, what is it that I set out to achieve? What's important to me? Why does this make me feel this way? Is that what I want? Do I want VC funding? Do I not? Like, I think it's important to just kind of really think about why you're feeling those things, how they affect what it is you're trying to achieve. And then you can like put them aside because you can say, okay, you know what? That's not what I'm building. I don't want VC funding. I want control. This is, you know, and then you can sort of put it aside and move forward and not allow that to happen again. Or you can say, you know what? I want that. So I'm going to pursue it. And that's going to factor into my plan. There's no wrong answer, but it's just kind of using it to just constantly know thyself. You know, I think that's incredibly honest. And I think that is what everybody does, but doesn't talk about. And, you know, it's almost like benchmarking, right? It's really just seeing what is happening in the marketplace? What are people doing? And I would say for me, even though I don't plan, I'm very clear on like what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And when I see other people doing things that are in the same swim lane or like kind of like, but not the same, I always remind myself personally, like we are each unique and we're going to each have a completely different story, experience, journey, et cetera. So I think it's great to sort of look around, but at the same time, I think when you have clear purpose and you feel it in your gut, it's very easy to stay on track, even when there's like lots of shiny objects around. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And you have to remember that like so many of them are shiny objects, you know, and they don't factor into your own particular path and purpose and what you're trying to do. So it's really important to acknowledge and again, put them aside. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be in a space where you're reading newsletters, magazines, social, like there is an incredible amount of noise out there. And there's also so much that inspires me by what I see and gives me ideas on how I can be better and how I can have more impact. And impact is really important to me. I agree. So coming from this career that you went into, which is in marketing, in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. What led you from there to entrepreneurship and what skills did you learn from that previous work experience that you're still utilizing today? So I loved what I did in the entertainment industry. I love movies. I'm obsessed with movies. I could sit and watch nonstop movies all weekend. In fact, I used to do that when I was like 
single and unencumbered. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was definitely doing something I loved and I love being creative and, you know, there's a lot of planning involved in marketing. So yeah, that was all good. But I would say the job aside, I was burnt out. I was constantly looking over my shoulder. It was just such a cutthroat environment. Like you were made to feel unsettled. And that was really like part of the plan oh. was to have everyone sort of competing. Um, obviously, it was sort of rampant with sexual harassment and bullying and all those things. So just years and years and years of like dodging and weaving and dealing with movie stars and crazy directors and all of that stuff. And um, that definitely had its moments. Like eventually, you know, I just hit a wall and I was done. But what I do remember was that there was a thing that was missing for me, which was access to community. I had friends, I had work colleagues, but I didn't really have a safe space where I could have some of the conversations I needed to have about the situations I was coming up against. And whether that was just straight up negotiating my salary or getting promoted or being given budget to build up my team or whatever, or whether it was just feeling sort of respected and having great work hours and sort of self-care. I just didn't have anyone I could be that sort of open and vulnerable with or tactical with. And so that always sort of stayed with me, this thing that was missing. And so I started to create that for myself. And it wasn't originally intended to be a business. It was just, oh, I'm missing this. I'm just going to create this, you know, this sort of group of women who just have dinner and um, we're all going through the same thing. So like, let's just like see how we're all figuring things out. And those dinners just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until, you know, I had that sort of realization that there was a there there and that became the wee suite. I remember you and I sitting in Soho House years ago when you were first telling me that you were thinking about making it into these suites. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain to everyone what it means, the sweet part of it? Actually, mm-hmm. explain what we stands for and then the sweet part. Sure. So we stands for Women, Inspiration and Enterprise. So we all need constant inspiration and motivation to make it through the days and all the things that we are navigating, confronting, coming up against on a daily basis. And the enterprise piece is really the tactical tool strategy piece. So that's why I actually originally tried to get WE, but that was gone. I'm actually (laughs) thankful that I didn't. There are sort of three pillars, content, community, and cohorts. So the cohorts piece is the suites. So every member gets access to their own personal advisory board, your own sort of peer coaching group. And you're put into groups of approximately eight women and you meet with your group once a month. And the way that we curate the groups is that you fill in a form and you tell us who you are, where you're going, who can help you get there, what your goals are. And then we match you accordingly um, with a mix of people, not just people who are in a similar space, but like just people who we think will bring something to the table for you. And those groups like become really close, really tight, incredibly strong bonds and are really sort of active in each other's careers and each other's career successes. So those are sweets. So, I mean, obviously I'm part of a suite, so I feel this, but I want to talk a little bit about 
a recent article in March from PureWow that you contributed to, which was So Long Mean Girls, 2023 is the year of the hype woman. And I do feel that that is what is happening inside of a suite. But overall, you know, I'm part of a whole slew of different communities and groups. And I'll say that it's very rare to find a group of women together who actually do share resources. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your mentality of community and how your leadership style trickles down into a membership, because I think that it kind of does stem from the person who is at the helm. Absolutely. I experienced that firsthand with all the sort of different companies I worked for, and the culture is very different according to who's running it. And so, you know, companies should be aware that culture comes from the top. And so if you want to create a great culture, like you have to live it. And so I loved that hype woman piece. It was so much fun and such a great concept, but also such an important one, you know, to sort of highlight and for us all to live. So, you know, I'm very comfortable giving and pretty comfortable asking at this point. And so I've surrounded myself, this is outside of the WeSpe, I've surrounded myself with a group of women where we're very comfortable asking and receiving from a career perspective. I mean, I think that as women, we're, we're fairly comfortable asking like, you know, can you watch my kid for a minute or can you recommend a great facialist? Like we're good that way. But sometimes when it comes to sort of work and finances, there is this invisible line that can be drawn in the sand. and so. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful asking friends, you know, money related questions or needs or, you know, sort of for work introductions, but it's something that I'm very comfortable doing. And so I've created that for myself. And so I created it in the business I built and I've made it okay to ask. You can ask for whatever you need at any point. You don't have to have five coffees. You don't have to cultivate the relationship. If you have a need, you can ask because that is what this space is created for. It's for us to be tactically supportive, to use our social, intellectual, financial capital in support of one another. And so it's something I share with every new member and I look for also in every new member so that there are actually members I have turned down because I really felt that they didn't live the values that are important to me. They just said certain things where I was like, hmm, like that's not the ethos of the suite. So it doesn't really work for us. You're very impressive. But that for me is like, it's not just about what you've done on paper, but are you going to bring the right values to the suite? Because it only really works because everyone's doing it. So everyone's giving and everyone's receiving. So it's just this sort of constant flow of activity that is benefiting everyone in the best way. So I communicate that strongly. I look for it in potential members and then they join the WeSuite and they just see it happening. So there's like no way to sort of not be a part of it. And what I often find funny is like people are almost like competing to be the one to give, which is like the best thing ever. It's like, no, but I know them too. So we're like, if it doesn't work out there, I, I want to help. Um, how brilliant is that? It's so funny because I have to say, like, <laughs> when you watch the ping pong of emails go by and you're like, oh, honey, that was actually solved like six emails ago. Like, it's still going, but it's, it's great. But let's talk a little bit about this scarcity mindset, because mm-hmm. I do think that 
it exists. I'm sure you do too. I personally don't function that way. I'm always willing to like lend a helping hand, amplify whatever. But there are women and men too who believe that there's only so much to go around. And I would say that maybe you can take this even into the investment conversation of even with Black women raised of how you're tackling scarcity mindset because at the end of the day, there is only so much, right? Or is there endless amounts, but you just have to know how to get to it? It's both, right? And so there are investors, for example, who might say, I fulfilled my own personal diversity quota for my portfolio. I have one black founder or two black founders, so I'm done. Like, you know, that's a very real thing. And also, you know, at a corporate level where they're sort of meeting, you know, certain unspoken diversity quotas for themselves. Like, okay, so we did that. Like, you know, we ticked those boxes. So it does exist. But I think that we as women have to be the ones to break that. And we break that by changing the spaces that we have the opportunity and privilege being a part of or, you know, smashing through. And so if you get to be in a position of power at a major company, like how are you going to change that environment to ensure that the way is paved for other women who are coming up behind you? So if you are the first or the only, I mean, good on you, but like, that's not yeah. the goal. Like the goal is for you to be the first and only and then change it for the ones who are coming up behind you, like not to sort of continue, to not to allow that to continue to exist. Amen. So for me, like that is the purpose is not to leave things as you found them. There's also a mindset shift that's required to do that. I can imagine that there are women within the WeSuite who are incredibly giving, but then when they go back to their other spaces, maybe are not in the same way because the culture doesn't exist. And maybe, you know, if you give too much, you're giving your cards away. And so I understand all that. I've played the politics of corporate culture. I play it well. I, I don't want to play it anymore. Um, I think it's counterproductive. It's exhausting. And it serves no one, ultimately. Yeah, it is challenging, though, for people who, you know, don't necessarily want to be entrepreneurs to create their own companies and their own cultures and have to really align and navigate internally. But I think the mentality of being able to ask and receive without the pretense, like you said before, of like having five coffees to sort of tee up the big ass. I think that is a great thing to get rid of no matter where you are. But I don't think it works as well outside of a community in the sense that inside of a community, you understand the rules of engagement, right? You know that it's perfectly okay to do that. But in corporate culture, for example, it would be harder to just like flat out ask without having a relationship. But you have to create that community and culture for yourself within those companies. So, you know, for example, like there was a woman I worked with at one of the movie studios and I actually brought her into the company. Like I recommended her and then she joined and we had the worst relationship. Like I just, I think about it often. It was super competitive because that was really the dynamic that had been created. Right. And so we were pitted against each other. And after like quite a long period of this, like we were at a festival, like somewhere together and we ended up just kind of sitting up, drinking and talking because we're just in the same place. And we just worked through like 
all of the BS and it completely changed the nature of our relationship, our dynamic, our work dynamic. But it took someone being the bigger person saying, look, this is some bullshit. Like we need to get past it, you know? And because the thing is, is that this isn't happening to men. This is women. Men are just like, they're just moving forward. They are so comfortable with the transactional piece of it. They will ask for what they want. Like they're super transactional very quickly. And so they're getting ahead and they're using their relationships in a very sort of tactical way. Meanwhile, we're still like, "Mm," you know, like I just think that like step back a second and just see what's happening around you. And you'll see that you're like wasting an incredible amount of time when other people who see the lay, like who see the path ahead, know how to, you know, how to work the system and how to use it to their advantage. So the scarcity mindset is something that exists, but that we have to work to get past because it's only slowing down our own progress. So well said, and I could not agree more. And you know what? You're right. It's like, if someone is the bigger person and sits down with that other person to just say like, let's cut this bullshit. We have to work together. Let's think of a way to work together. I mean, it's so beneficial to everybody. Doesn't always work, but yeah, I would say eight times out of 10, you make progress. Like, it's just like, we're all people. It's just like understanding the dynamics of why people act the way they do. Absolutely. So going back to what I said in the beginning of this episode, which was your leadership style, and you are obviously refined, elegant, you're not the loudest person in the room, but you command respect, you have great presence, but you're much quieter than a lot of your peers, so to speak. So how has that been a benefit? And how do you sometimes wish that maybe you were a bit louder? Like, I would imagine like sometimes it's great, sometimes it's less great. I'm just curious. I only have one setting. That's why I'm asking. (laughs) I mean, obviously I am who I am, so I can't change that. I've tried, you know, in certain situations. So I would say that when it works against me is in environments, especially male-dominated ones, where the perception of what a great leader looks like or what success looks like is louder and more aggressive and more bombastic. And in fact, I remember pitching a VC for funding and he said that I was too low key. He told me I was too low key. And he coached me. He thought he was helping. He was like, you need to say, I'm going to make you a billion dollars. And like, I'm the best person, you know, on this planet for this business. And my business is like amazing. And there's nothing, you know, like he literally coached me to be that. And like, I will never be able to do that. Even hearing you pretend to say it right now sounds like completely (laughs) off-brand for you. So I know, you know, but like that's the paradigm. Like that's how venture in Silicon Valley and that's how it works. And so my more sort of low-key, quieter, self-facing manner, like was communicating a lack of success in a weird way. So I would say like in environments that are super aggressive and heavily male-dominated, I would say that my approach and manner doesn't necessarily work in the same way because I, it's also like, it's a matter of like, how do you make yourself heard in an environment where everyone is like very comfortable taking over the room and, you know, without sort of allowing anyone else space. Like they just, 
take the room. That can be harder. But where it works in my favor is that I make people feel good about themselves. You know, I see people. And so I build stronger bonds and long-term bonds. And so I think that people are more inclined to be supportive of whatever it is I need. And my relationships are not flash in the pan. They stand the test of time. I'm in the business of doing this in the long term. And so there are times when not being the loudest in the room means that, you know, you do kind of get lost in the mix, but it all figures itself out in the long run, you know? I agree. What's meant to happen will happen for sure. You are an entrepreneur, you're a mom, you have a busy schedule. How do you make decisions to do something or not do something? Like what's your mental filter? The billion dollar question. (laughs) I have so many demands on my time. Sometimes like I just have to sort of stop and stand still because I cannot figure out which is the more urgent priority because everything feels urgent. Um, As you can imagine, I'm a big fan of segmenting my time as a planner. So, you know, I love a color-coded calendar. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Virgo right there. (laughs) That is the Virgo. I'm trying to structure my days where I'm allowing time for family, for my kid, for my work, for my team, a little bit for self. Um, That tends to be like lowest down on the list. Of course. Okay. So when someone makes a request of me, whether it's a speaking engagement, whether to go to an event, whether they want to have a meeting, I judge it against a set of criteria that relates to work, um, personal and family. Like, am I meeting with someone who means a lot to me? So am I seeing someone who I care about? And so I want to just spend time with them. Or am I going to an event where I'm going to see people I love? And so I'm going for personal because it's fulfilling, you know, for us personally. Or like, is this a great thing for my family in some way? Like, does this kind of support my ambitions for my husband, for my kid, for our lives, like, you know, does it help it? Or is this great for work? Because really the default is I want to stay home. (laughs) So I'm just like looking at everything through that lens and then making decisions about whether I can do it or not. I mean, exact same way. You have this great quote where you said, I used to take no and rejection very seriously and personally. But no just means there's a better yes coming, which I love that sentiment. How did you decide that? That's just come over time, the wisdom of time. Like all the things I thought I wanted so badly, you know, the rejections that crushed me that I look back on now and I think, oh, well, if I had done that thing, I wouldn't have achieved X or I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have met Y. And so it's just a sort of understanding of how life works and really putting yourself in a position where you're looking for a better yes, as opposed to allowing that no to crush you and to crush your dreams. There's always another way to achieve whatever it is that's important to you. Sometimes it's a not right now. Sometimes you're not ready for it. And so 
I think it's important to like hold on to your dreams, what you believe in. So always sort of keep that front of mind and don't allow yourself to be derailed by the nose, but also just like pause for reflection, understand why a no or why a ghost. And then like, just keep moving forward with intention. And I promise you the right thing will come to you the right way. I love that. And it's a great segue into the last question, which is how do you ultimately want to leave your mark? Oh, I love leave your mark is like such a, it's a great name for a series. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, of course, it's about legacy around women. I want to leave things changed. I don't want other women to experience the same things I did. Um, I want them to be able to navigate corporate spaces or build their businesses and have sort of opportunities open to them. I want to change things statistically. and I want to see more women in leadership positions, more women raising the capital they need and sort of building the business they want. I want to see women feeling like they have equal partners in the home. So I just, you know, I want to just see that evolution in our status as women in a very tangible way. Amazing. Dee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love hearing about your journey. Love being part of the community. I can't wait to see how this all grows and evolves too. Thank you. Such great questions. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Leave Your Mark. If you want more career advice or tips on personal branding, make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception. Want to land your dream job or kill it in your career? Don't forget about my first book, Leave Your Mark. If you want me to speak at your company or at an offsite, or if you need consulting services, please go to alizalick.com. I would love to connect with you there and on social media. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.